0: Hey everyone, this is Kevin Eslin and you're listening to another episode of Folk Stories. Folk Stories is a podcast where we have long-form conversations with founders, innovators, and top performers. We talk about how they got here, what they do, and the stories that they have to share. Today, my guest is Nick Hughes, the founder of Founders Live, a global entrepreneurial community started by Nick to inspire, educate, and entertain entrepreneurs around the world. Prior to starting Founders Live, Nick had already done multiple startups. ups It was through the process of recovering from a failed startup up that Nick started Feature Friday, an event for early-stage entrepreneurs to pitch their ideas in 99 seconds and network with others in the Seattle community. This event proved extremely popular and led to Nick scaling it out globally, with events now in over 50 cities. I know Nick from going to the Seattle Founders Life events. Well, Nick didn't pay me to say this. I'm happy to say that I've always ended up meeting interesting people from the event and come out of it feeling highly motivated to do my own thing. In today's episode, we talk about Nick's entry into entrepreneurship, lessons from having a startup fail, and Nick's vision with Founders Live going forward. And now, without any further ado, I give you Nick Hughes. nick welcome to the show thank you for coming on oh you're welcome thank you for having me there's lots of places where you could start. that uh, something i've always been wondering is did you always know that you wanted to do startups and business or was there a point in your life when that came alive for you
1: yeah you know i i, I think i'm gonna say no Um, what's so interesting is I, I've always been creative. I've I've always been the person that is looking for kind of the next thing or like, what am I going to do? How would I push the limits? But, um, my background, so I studied physiology in college. So exercise physiology and, you know, that study of kinesiology and essentially the movement of the human body. And I, I, my first career, short one, but my first career was in, uh, strength and conditioning. So I was a coach and I trained athletes uh professional level as well as college. And then also, you know, as a trainer working with um, the general population. So I did that for shoot, almost probably seven, eight years total uh, right after school. Cause you know, I basically was an athlete and then when I went to college, I didn't, you know, it's not like I went professional or anything. So uh, my next thing was, Hey, why don't I, work with athletes and train them. And I actually studied, studied that. And then, um, yeah, there was a point in time where I just realized that it wasn't the career that I want to be in. And it coincidentally at the same time, I started to really study technology and understand business and startups. And so I'd say I was probably about 27, 28 about that time frame when I really understood this is the direction I want to go.
0: Was there anything that set that off, like some sort of event, or was it just something that you've been thinking about a long time, and it's something that gradually came to you?
1: It was more, it was more gradual. I think, you know. So I ask this question of people sometimes, and you know, is is entrepreneurship? Is it? Are you born with it, or are you? Is it nurture? Is it nature? Is it nurture? And for me, I think it was nature, but it took a while for me to for it to come out. And because the reason I know that is because I wouldn't do anything else. Like this is my life. This is it. This is what I, what I I felt like I was born to do. It just took me a while to get there. And honestly, I think it was just, you know, sh- struggling for years. And actually like, you know, as a trainer, you're just, it's basically, you're getting paid hours for dollars, right? Or sorry, dollars for hours. And when you realize like, wait, so if I only, if I work this many hours and get paid this much, you basically realize you top out and you start thinking like, what's what's next or how can I move up? And I, I really started to research and look at, Oh, there's the thing called not only business ownership, but startups and starting to look at technology and understanding that you could create a company that could not only be something that impacted people around the world, but you owned it and it was infinitely scalable so when you think about technology and software and apps and, you know, this was right when mobile, like actually when mobile was taking off. And then also, you know, I remember what Facebook was taking off and I started to study like, you know, all these companies and look at Microsoft and Google and how they grew and what their, what their n- essentially network effect is and why they're so big. Um, I realized I've definitely wanted to create a company that was infinitely scalable versus working D- dollars for hours right and so that that was the big the insight of geez I, I can go do something that has unlimited potential versus a limited
0: potential it's interesting you talk about like nature and nurture because it seems to me that you spent a long time also nurturing yourself in the startup world and getting up to speed I noticed that uh, on your LinkedIn, you mentioned a period of self-study from 2005 to 2011 mm-hmm. where you ended up reading a bunch of books and like some of, all, some of them definitely stand out to me because they are ones that I've also perused like Blue Ocean Strategy and Benjamin Franklin's biography. Um, yeah. And I'm curious, um, like, how did that look like? Did you structure your days to like have two hours set aside every day to like study? <laughs> how did you pick your books and, how was that period of your life um, arranged?
1: Oh, this is such a good question because I, I'm sure there's people listening that can identify with what I'm going to say, which is there was a period where I was working in in my previous job, so I was in I was in the fitness industry and you know training people and athletes, and then I would take any any point in time that I didn't, wasn't working. So like my kind of lunch hour or free time, and I would just be like reading and studying. And I remember like, I'd be reading back in the day, business week, uh, businessweek.com was kind of bigger than, or, and business insider. So I would just like, you know, I would just rush to a co- like a coffee shop, like a Starbucks and, and spend my hour or two that was off. Like if I was in between clients, I literally would shut down. Like I would stop in the physical world, like training world. And I would go and like literally read and research and basically like kind of work. Like back in that time, I actually was, I call it playing startup. So me and like four people were trying to do a startup, but dude, I had no idea what I was doing. I totally, I look back now and talk about, you know, rookie founder. And I just had no clue. This was before even getting into the startup world. Um, you know, didn't didn't even know the community existed actually. And so, yeah, like I would take books. Um, I would read, you know, I would read so much like during my breaks and, you know, before I go to bed and like, just, I read voraciously and all those books. I have so many books sitting on a bookshelf now. And what's amazing is that was tremendous learning.
0: And, and those books sit inside my head. And I, I, I use
1: them to this day, even if I don't even understand that I'm using them, I'm using that knowledge. And so I can just tell you that it's probably as effective, if not more effective, than like, uh, you know, structured education at a university, uh, because that was purposeful. And, and I bought those books, I read them, I underlined, you know, double and triple. And um, so, yeah, I, it, basically any waking moment, that's when you know you're ready, because you're taking every spare moment and you're applying it to learning and bettering yourself so that you're prepared when your time has come.
0: It's also good preparation for the start of life where you are using any given moment to do what you need to do Mm -hmm. for the books that you have read. So a problem that I have is like, I love to read, but I find that, you know, down the line, you ask me about a book I got last year. I have very, hard time recalling the ex- exact details and the specifics. Did you do anything to help you consolidate the knowledge once you've got a book?
1: I felt... You know, it's not like I did like a book report or anything, but <laughs> I'll tell you, um, I think the... So, check this out. It's a physical book. Reading a physical book, number one, you actually retain more um, actually holding the book and turning the page. It's, it's interesting. I mean, maybe others are different, but <laughs> You're not reading it digitally and or you're not listening to it. You actually physically hold it, read it, turn the page, then underline and like write, you know, kind of like make notes. That's another thing of retaining it. Um, So I felt like just, you know, being very um, like an active reading, really being active in that reading and, um, you know, underlying. And then actually I would then take after I underlined it. I would, when I got done with that book, I would then flip through and speed read the underline. And so that just retention is like, that allows you to retain what you just read and you underline it. So it's like, essentially it's boldface. Um, and man, I felt like that was pretty effective.
0: And from the books that you got, do you, um, were there any particular lessons that stuck with you and as far as like the lessons you've gained, do you notice that there are certain lessons that applied more like at the very beginning of your entrepreneur phase versus later on?
1: So I actually just pulled up the list too. Cause I, I can't, you know, it's amazing that, I mean, this is simply, this is a list of what, 20, 20 books that I've probably read. I have a hundred, maybe 200 books at, um, actually in my storage unit now, but, um, yeah, I mean, there's so many, there's so many lessons. I think it's it's hard to um, to wrap it up, but you know, I'll just point out a couple of them. Um, you know, let's say 360 degree leadership. So John Maxwell is one of the best authors on leadership in general, and you know, if you you look him up, I mean, you can read. There's so many different books around leadership, how to work with people, and and this one is 360 degree leadership. So what does that mean? That means leading up, down, left and right, and, you know, leading up to, you know, maybe you have a boss, but you can actually lead them or help anyone that's overseeing you, you can actually help them. And, and, and how do you navigate that? Um, How do you lead someone that's actually supposedly leading you? Um, You know, the, the sideways, you know, how do you, you know, what are the strategies to lead your peers and uh, be essentially be an equal or a peer And, um, it's a give and take and then leading down or essentially the people that are following you, the appropriate ways to be a leader. And, you know, uh, you know, how do you, how do you approach leadership in a servant way and all that, all that good stuff. Right. And so I think 360 degree leadership really helped me understand holistically that there, there's a, it's essentially a sphere or it's, you know, it's, it's a universe, if you will, versus just. Oh, as a leader, you talk down to people that are below you, you know, and you're, you're, you're worried and scared of the people above you, whatever that case may be. So those are, it's an interesting one. I'm just going to pick, I picked that out. And, you know, um, I thought that that really, I mean, I, I probably read that 12, 10, 12 years ago.
0: I, I think I really like what you said. And I had a college professor who he taught a leadership course. And one of his big gripes is that in society, we, seem to have this one definition of leadership, which is leading from the top down. But like you mentioned, like leadership is really all around. It's managing and talking to everyone around you, regardless of up, down, sideways, or whatnot, of where they are. Um, and yeah, the book is also next on my reading list. So um, thanks for the preview.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's a good one. Um, let's see, I'm going to point out one more. I do feel like the eighty twenty principle is something... So I'm going to do two more 80, 20 principle, uh, understanding that, uh, so are you familiar with the 80, 20 principle? I'll start there.
0: Yeah. So the idea that 20% of what you do usually results in right. 80% of the impact. And
1: you know, this, this law or principle could be construed a little bit. It can be confused, but what it helped me understand is there are areas like there's no, they don't give you the answer, but they give you the the mental framework of there are times and there are areas that deserve tremendous amount of focus that give you the most result and then there's some that you should not focus on at all because it's not going to give you much result and you know just understanding that the world is not equal and that that's what i take from this principle and our what's required of us as innovators and leaders is to find out how to, how to see the 80, 20 principle in your business and in life. So you can leverage that. Right. And, and that's like, that's, that's basically like as a founder, really figuring out what 20% do I focus on? That gives me 80% result. Meaning the small amount of things I need to do every day and focus on are going to give me the biggest result. And that's the stuff that I need to focus on. Everything else is actually just kind of noise. And, and, and so I'm, I feel like I'm more applying that now, you know, as founders live grows and there's so much going on, but it's like, okay, what's the most important thing or what are the most important things that I need to focus on? Worst case, worse, we will get those done. Because those are the 80% that moves it forward. You know
0: what I mean? Yeah. And I think as your venture goes, it's something that you're kind of forced into because you no longer have time to do everything. And you really can only, you have to be explicit about, here's the things I focus on. Here's the things I'm just going to drop. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And, you know, honestly, I'm I'm kind of struggling with that right now just because there's so much so much coming at me and so much new things that are being tossed around. And it's like, yeah, you, you have to constantly be focused on what the things to say yes to and the things to say no to. And that's not easy at all. Do you have any heuristics or ways that you make that decision? Oh man. Um, you know, obviously it's, you, you can run down a little list of, okay, like, you know, who, like, what is it? what area of the business is it in? Is this going to, you know, add how much value, like, is it a what X times of value? Is it a one X thing or is it a five or 10 X thing? And th- what that means is like, if I put effort into this, is it like going to massively move the company forward? Or is it something like one X is just simply like, it's kind of like day to day stuff, right? Like just the tedious work. But um, is it something that, wow, you know, I have an hour long meet like today. I had a meeting today that in a year or two, we will see massive results from the meeting I had today. Like I can tell you right now. So, so I knew that the time spent today in an hour and a half meeting is going to like crazy impact the world in like a year or two. And so that was a good time, like good use of my time. But then you look at like, okay, the emails that I sent out today, like, or some of the things that I did, those are more like 1X things because it just kind of was like the day-to-day stuff. You know, so um, just looking at, you know, what what kind of return will it have? Um, who's involved? Is it someone I want to work with? Is it a company I want to work with? You know, these sort of things. Like, as you grow as a founder and a leader, you're going to get more... People are going to... More often, they're going to request your time. And you really have to look at, like, what are my variables or what are the things, the qualities of this interaction that will be worth my time? Or, you know, essentially we have a limited amount of time. So is it going to move the business forward? Is it going to benefit me personally, knowledge wise? Is it going to, is it a social thing that I'm actually creating social capital? I mean, I value that big time. Um, So I'll go out and have, you know, a happy hour or a coffee because I know that there's social capital that you're creating. It's not just a waste of time. Um, you know, so I kind of think about all these um, before I engage in, in those things.
0: Yeah. I agree with everything you just said. And th- I think mm-hmm. it just goes back to this whole idea of being mindful of the things that you're doing, the decisions that you're making, like why are you making them and yeah. making sure you can be happy with those.
1: Totally. All right. I'm going to bring up one more because I think this is a good one. Um, it's icon class. So, Icon Class from Gregory Burns, um, basically it's a book, Icon Class, you know, it, the word icon is rooted in Icon Class, and the Icon Class is basically like a person, so like Steve Jobs, you know, or Thomas Edison, you know, even Benjamin Franklin, and basically these people, what I took from this book was, man, they had, I I would use a different word, but they had the guts to stand firm and be someone unique and, and actually stand for something and stand out. And, you know, as an icon class, there's like, you know, there's very strong, you know, they obviously have a personality, they are known for something. They're usually very outspoken and or like, you know, they're predominant and a prominent figure in the, in, in the, in the world. And it's because they're like not scared to like actually do something and stand for something. And I mean, there's a lot that goes into this whole thing, but just being an icon class, like, you know, essentially it's kind of like the personal brand taken to like the next level. Like, what do you stand for? What, what are your values? Do you stand firm on those? Do you drive, you know, a strong, do you drive, do you drive innovation, growth and business with a strong back? You know, these are the things that I took from that book and like, you know, hope I would hope at some point in time someone would use that word with me because, you know, that that just I think it's deep grained in me by reading this book saying like, okay, I want to be known and stand for something and actually have my life, almost my life's work attached to that purpose.
0: It makes me think of something you said earlier where, you know, when you you and several others were going through the period of self-study and reading The books on entrepreneurship, like I know so many people that um, the phrase like, you know, uh, playing entrepreneur and you read the blog articles, you read the books, but then basically actually going ahead and standing for something like making that first step into this world is a place where most people stop at. And I'm curious, like, do you still remember your first startup and what led you to take that first step into actually doing something?
1: yeah, my, my, let's call it the first real startup. Um, so in 2011, I, I actually was, I was recruited if you will. I was, I was sought out. Um, I had written an article on GeekWire. Like I'd just written like a guest post on GeekWire. Uh, this guy read it and he reached out to me and he was like, Hey, uh, I like what you said here. I think, you know, you think interestingly, I would like to talk with you about a project. And he was a developer and long story short, he pretty much like recruited me in to be the CEO of this company that was essentially a mobile payments company that we were creating technology that allowed for payments within messaging or, you know, essentially a short message um, between customer and merchant, you know, very efficient. We, We called it seconds because it was like a payment done in seconds and, um, you know, pretty much like a good use case was like, Hey, you could, you could message over, you could text over nonfat latte to the, to the coffee shop that you're going to swing by in 10 minutes. And by sending that you had a card on file. <clears throat> so you actually instantly paid for it because the, it was code essentially they could program in nonfat latte equals $5 and 30 cents or whatever. And, uh, you transacted instantly, as well as they receive the message. They're going to make your coffee. You could swing in, grab it instantly and not have to stand in line. And that's just one use case of a payment system through messaging that allowed for words plus transaction. And, you know, obviously now you can use a Starbucks app and, you know, go pick up your coffee. But this was in 2010, 11. And, um, you know, we, again, rookie founder just, there's some things we didn't do and, or we didn't do correctly. And I mean, in the end, about a year and a half, two years later, just basically like nosedived and shut it down. And, you know, so that didn't go anywhere and it was a tough, it was a tough experience, but learned a, a lot, you know, like I, I that really rooted in the foundation of me now and partly of why I started founders live.
0: Do you remember for that first company seconds, what were the things that you look back now and would consider that was maybe a mistake? This is not something I would do again.
1: Uh, so, so many, so many. I, I think the big one was we definitely like the product was built before any market in like customer development insight. And, you know, that's partly, you know, the developers fall, fall partly mine, but didn't really know any better. And we, at the time we kind of thought we were, Oh, like, you know, we're doing this lean startup thing or whatever, but you know, he built most of the product with his assumptions and like just in the, you know, in the back room, just hacking away. And, you know, when we took it to market, it was felt like it was force feeding this solution into something that didn't really have a market. Um, I realize now, like it was kind of a, it was a very niche thing. It was before it's time. I mean, this was like when, you know, when, um, when Venmo was just starting to get going, actually, maybe even before that, uh, square had just gotten going, but that square was just the dongle. Um, they weren't really doing any mobile payments and, well, I mean, they were doing mobile payments by the dongle swiping a card. And, um, you know, so, you know, it just took millions of dollars to actually like build out a, a team and, and take it to the market. And we just, we, we, too many assumptions, didn't test in market, spent too long on the product, and then had a finished product and trying to sell it to like no one. Right. So, so that was one. Um, number two, I would say we as co-founders entered very quickly into the agreement and, you know, six months later it started to unravel. And so we weren't, I, I now take business partners, co-founders very seriously. And I actually don't, you know, I'm the sole founder of Founders Live. I don't have a co-founder and that's just by happenstance. But, you know, within two weeks he had contacted me and then we were splitting equity and I was the CEO and co-founder of this company. And that's like ridiculous. So um, the co-founder issue was something that we just didn't really see eye to eye. And um, so we had some problems there. Um, and, and then I would say the third thing is, um, you know, I, I was, I think at the time, you know, I think sales really does sales is it, man. And, you know, we did not, we did not get sales and, you know, maybe I was trying at the time, but I realized now, like, you gotta, like, you gotta drive growth and revenue and you gotta drive your charts and numbers up and to the right. We didn't we definitely hit like a flat line. And, you know, we had like one kind of main customer that was bringing in some revenue and I didn't go, I didn't do well enough or good enough job to go get another 10 or 20 or 50. That's just, that's the way it is. We didn't, I didn't do it. We didn't do it. And so, you know, sales from day one should have been what we focused on. That's it. Not going trying to pitch in investors because you don't have anything. You got to show traction and results and don't spend, don't waste your time chasing investors to try to get money to support your team. Go get sales and revenue. That's it.
0: I think those are all really good advice. Um, Testing your assumptions, (laughs) having that relationship with a co-founder or making sure that you really vet your co-founders before bringing them on board because it is, it is marriage. Mm -hmm.
1: Well, it's, it's marriage and it's, you know, what you don't realize is if there is a, breakup. It, it makes the, like, it it gets messy and, you know, your cap table or the ownership of the company starts to look a little weird and people will be like, who's this person holding all this, you know, some equity that is not around. And, you know, it's just, um, it hurts morale. Um, so you really just, I would encourage people to think about it a little more deeply than maybe just jumping in and saying, Oh, I need a co-founder. So do you want to be my (laughs) co-founder? That's not, really the right decision.
0: So on the topic of co-founders, it's definitely something I hear a lot of from people who are are trying to start businesses. And actually I'm currently in the business or the process of looking for a co-founder myself. And, you know, it's something that everyone, it seems like uh, Laura to tell you that you should have a co-founder because the going is tough and you want something, someone to be there with you. But then also on the other end, it's having a co-founder. It's so much worse than, having a bad co-founder is so much worse than just doing it alone. So what, um, what is the vetting process you would do now to find potential co-founders?
1: Well, yeah, you want to look at um, adjacent skill sets, obviously, like, you know, if you're a non-technical founder, you want to look for a technical founder, you know, if vice versa, Um, you want to look at, you know, I kind of, This is very simplistic, but an early stage startup, you know, literally like you're starting one, it probably should have, and this is not necessarily true for founders live right now. So I'm, you know, my, my words should be taken with a grain of salt, but you have, you have like the developer you've got. So the technical person, you have the designer that can visually design what the person is building, um, and then you have the the, the CEO, essentially the non technical co founder or the CEO or the salesperson. So generally speaking, you have a C, CEO that just drives sales and they're in marketing and sales and they're non necessarily technical. And then you have the technical, essentially two people, but the CTO is the developer, the back end usually building the product, the engineer, and then you have a designer that hopefully is probably a front end developer as well, but they're the one making it pretty. And if you have those three, it's a pretty good team. Um, and so you want to look at that, um, from a skill set. then you want to like, I mean, honestly, man, I don't, you know, this, some people might approach it, not approach it this way, but for me, it's probably going out and having a beer with them. And, you know, again, male, female, it doesn't really matter. Like, is this person male or female, someone I want to spend time with and do we get along and do we see the world similar? So it's not just skill sets, like, do they see things the same? Can they start to, you know, end your sentences with what you'd probably say? You know, those sort of things, I think, are really important to look at. Um, Definitely not a good idea to get in business with someone that's highly talented, technically, but you can't stand them in person, (laughs) you know? So, like, just thinking about, you know, this is a partnership, it should be a friendship, it should be something that you are going to go in. You're going to go, uh, you're going to go through some stuff with this person. So you better hope that you can communicate. So you're learning their communication styles. You're able to have very direct conversation. So how is that communication style? And can you actually have a serious direct conversation without, you know, everyone getting feelings hurt? Um, you know, those are the things that I look for, you know, that's the way I approach it. Um, and lastly, like, I think it's, the big one is, can I count on you? And are you going to be around like for years? Um, this isn't, I, 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 it's hard to like determine someone's going to be around for years, but you got to have that conversation of like, Hey, are you gonna be around in four years? Cause this is what I'm doing. And I plan on having a partner for this long and you have to have those conversations and just be honest, honest, you know, be honest with that person, you know, so th- those are the things I look at.
0: Definitely plus one on what you just said, and especially the being around for years, because these things take on the order of years to decades. And I think so often we read whatever's on Hacker News or GeekWire, and it seems like here's an overnight success, and here's another overnight success, that they never write about the ten plus years it took to actually get it to yeah, at this point. Totally. And then you mentioned having a co-founder; it's having somebody to go through all the roller coaster that is a startup where you have amazing highs, but you also have devastating lows. And I know that um, you've written about founders' depression and what it was like when your first startup did not succeed. And, and I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about that and what that experience was like.
1: Yeah, yeah, it wasn't definitely wasn't happy when um you know you're never happy when things don't work out but it was just kind of a it was a time in my life where, you know, I was fairly fairly public about what we were building and I was excited about it and weird you know, weirdly I was I was excited about it. I don't think it's I <laughs> g I don't think it was the idea now that I'm so glad I'm not there. But um you know, when it didn't work, I mean I so I didn't pay myself for like probably a year and a half and I just tried to get by with other little gigs and all that stuff. And so I was not doing well. And, you know, financially I, I, you know, I had to like, let's see, I, I moved out of the place I was living because actually all the roommates were, were moving out and I had to move in with my sister and her family. I mean, I basically was sleeping in the guest room and, you know, I was there for probably five or six months and, and then she made, you know, it, it was kind of like that took its course and, you know, so then she asked me, like, hey, I think you need to, like, move on, you know, as friendly as she could. And so I was, like, sleeping. I was kind of doing some couch sur- surfing with friends. And, you know, I just I, – you're just not on – you know, I wasn't on my game. I wasn't happy. And, um, you know, I think what's really difficult is your, your thoughts are magnified. So I think what's so crazy about this whole thing is, like, sometimes I step back. I'm like, hey, look, we're doing – crazy interesting almost impossible things so of course it's going to be hard and of course you're gonna like you're not going to move forward as fast as you want like you're doing the impossible so like let's at least acknowledge that it's not like you're it's not like you're like doing a job that's basic and you know like out you know it's like an hourly job that anyone necessarily can do you're not underperforming in that you're actually possibly underperforming in a very, very difficult situation. So like feeling like you're a loner or like a loser and you're no good is like such the wrong thing to think. But the problem is our, our human brain thinks that, you know? And so if we, if we're not succeeding at this like crazy, difficult, ambitious thing, Oh, we must be a loser. And that's like, that's BS, you know? Um, and so I, but I went there, you know, and I think that's not healthy. um, you know, really, I understood, I I start to understand now, like the negative self-talk was reaffirming those doubts. And so that's a negative spiral where you're like, things aren't going well. Oh my gosh, I'm scared and nervous. Oh my gosh. Why do I suck so bad? Oh, things are going bad. I'm scared and nervous. I'm a loser, blah, blah, blah. Like that is the downward spiral. And, and so that's, I, that's where I was. And it's not a good place to be. Um, I would say I never was, I wasn't, you know, I wasn't doing, I wasn't scared for my life. I wasn't, you know, necessarily abusing any sort of substance really. Um, I probably drank maybe a little too much, but I think, you know, no, no drugs or no anything else. And so I think, you know, it was, it was just a period of time and I had to actually recognize that it was all in my head and I just needed to change the way I was talking and, and, and change what I was doing. And so, you know, that's, I, I pulled out of it by working with other startups. So I kind of got, I got, I started working with another startup here in, here in Seattle. And then I actually, pretty quickly, I, I actually started the very first event, which was at the time called feature Friday, but this is the very first founders live event ever. And that was in March of 2014 and I started, it. I actually put that together just because I was like, I want to get people together and I want to highlight startups and I want to have a good time. I want to make myself feel better. And and that was the very first event. And now we have events all around the world. So that's crazy.
0: Well, uh, first of all, thank you for sharing. I think like the journey of doing startups is usually intertwined with personal um, self-worth and emotions. And it's um, it's definitely something that, I hear a lot from founders and people trying to do these things because you don't have a measure in which, you know, you measure yourself up against. And so it's up to you. And usually you are your own harshest critic and it is difficult.
1: It is. And, you know, all, all I'm going to say now is um, to anyone that might be thinking that, like, look, we're, part of the reason why I started founders live is to create a platform and a community to bring founders together and to have like, just honest, serious, like just talk and not feel like you need to put on that. Like, Oh, or yeah, or everything's great. We're killing it. And so like, if you're feeling this way, just talk to people, like have enough courage to say like, Hey, things aren't going well and I'm not sure what's going on. And I feel down, you know, like, have you had this before? And most people are going to say, Oh yeah. Like, I know what you're going through and here's what I did. And by saying it, at least you're sharing with people and they can help you. But if you're quiet and keeping it inside and you're just having essentially depression and not actually talking about it or getting help, that's when it gets bad. And, and so, you know, there's not only no shame, but it's smart to just start like talking with people in a trusted experience in a trusted place Um, hey, kind of struggling right now. I'm down on myself and my company. What should I do? That's like, the that's it. And you will be surprised of how much people will help.
0: Yeah, I couldn't agree more. There definitely have been times in my life too where I've gone through depression and taken a long time to figure out how to get out of it. But I found that when I did start talking about it, the response was usually, hey, like, I felt the same way, but like, I've never had anybody talk about it or like, here's an experience I've had that is similar. So all this to say that I found incredible support in Mm -hmm. being able to talk about it, even though it seems like such a scary and vulnerable thing to do. Oh yeah. It's
1: not easy, but just trust me, you know, anyone that's listening, like just start, start asking
0: people. That's it. Yeah. Um, and since we're talking about Founders Live, for people who might not be familiar, how would you describe what Founders Live is?
1: Yeah, you know, Founders Live is a global platform and community for entrepreneurs and founders around the world. And I like to say, you know, we, we're creating the global venue for modern entrepreneurs. And we do that through both an online platform and community that connects people together, essentially, you know, um, you know, founders com. you can go there and it's essentially, you know, it's a, it's, it's a social platform. And then there's a lot of like articles, videos, um, you know, chat sessions, like just great information to, to inspire, educate and entertain entrepreneurs. Um, but we also have, uh, events. So I spoke about the event that I put on and basically we have networking and, um, pitch competitions that, uh, I, we started in Seattle. That was our first city. And now we're in almost 50 cities globally. That's five zero. And, you know, almost probably what 1920 countries. Uh, it's crazy. It's totally, it's totally spreading and taking off and these are locally organized events that highlight the emerging talent in those cities. Um, they are pitch competitions that, you know, when it's time to have the companies come up, each one has 99 seconds to pitch their company. Um, really, it's a value proposition pitch. You know, who are you? What problem in the world did you find? What's your solution? And why Why are you valuable? And then, um, you know, there's four minutes of questions immediately after that from the audience. And they can ask questions like, who's your customer? What's the business model? Or who's your competition? And then um, we cycle through the five companies in that fashion, and then the crowd, the audience, votes on a winner. The unique thing, though, is that it um, actually is uh, live streamed. So the whole the whole vision is to create a live, essentially, a global channel that that um, highlights the emerging talent and startups coming out of cities all over the world. And so, yeah, I mean we're growing pretty massively and we'll probably be in hundreds of cities over the next couple of years.
0: So I started going to some founders live sessions in Seattle pretty early on. And it's really incredible to what you were alluding to, like how much it has grown both like even in Seattle, like having, seeing the entire venues fill up, but also seeing all these different venues swing up all over the place how do you manage that growth or what do you, um, how do you handle growth? What is your strategy and how do you expand Founders Live to other cities?
1: Yeah. You know, our growth is, is really, um, you know, we expand through uh, what we call our city leaders. So when we expand a new city, we find leadership on the ground. Uh, These are ambassadors and volunteers. And we, we, we bring them on, you know, so I interview them and we bring them on and, you know, they're, they're doing this to be a part of it. And obviously for their leadership and increase their network and just really um, be in front of their um, local um, network and audience. Uh, But, you know, so when we, when we onboard someone in, in the city that we've been looking at and we onboard a new city leader, essentially like there's a a little process to it and some things that they sign and information that we share with them, and then we really kind of just teach them that first, pretty much the first and second event, just a little bit of handholding, but they get up and running and there's just, it's a system and they follow it. And this whole thing just rolls on itself and it's an event and you're creating a community and you just like keep the event going and it just grows and grows. Um, so the growth, you know, I put in work early on to create a system, right? A repeatable scalable system and, you know, our first, like, two to three cities, I made sure that what we did, it was going to be a, able to get, like, we can do this in 30 cities and in 50 cities and in 100. So, you know, figuring out that system and how it can be scalable. Anyone in any city can follow these steps and do this. And, um, yeah, that, that that's part of our scaling is just creating that system and then making it uh, pretty dead simple and allowing people to, like, take it, run with it. and and do their thing in the city.
0: When you go to different founders' life events in different cities, I understand, like, the process, the pitching, and then the format is pretty similar among all of them. But I'm curious about, like, what the differences you find are among different cities, among different communities. You know, what's amazing is there's
1: less... It's not very different, which, you know, that's pretty cool, right? Like, you should... Mm -hmm. If you're from Seattle and you, you're you in New York, you should go to the Founders Live New York event and feel pretty much at home and know what's going on, which is so great. Um, but the difference is really it's around, you know, I think it, some of it is the city leader that we have, you know, their personality and the way that they operate on stage. You know, that that's going to be a little different based on people. And and then just like, you know, what type of what city are you in? You know, is it, you know, is it a, a southeastern city, is it West, you know, West coast, you know, like the events in, in, in San Diego, they're held at like a, actually a pretty cool brewery, but it's like kind of half in, inside, half outside. And um, that's different than like, you know, events that are held in other cities that might be totally indoor and a little more buttoned up. So, you know, you're going to, you're just going to see the culture, the flavor of the culture of the city is going to be a li- like illustrated, you know, based on that city and that leadership and just the people there. But in, in general, I mean, they're, they're pretty much the same, which is, which is pretty cool.
0: When you're looking at cities to onboard, how do you make that decision?
1: It's a little bit of probably th- it's a combination of about three things. Um, number one is, you know, clearly are they like a city of certain size that has at least a certain amount of startup activity and, or like, you know, innovation there's, there's business activity, um, in, in, not just like small town business activity. Like there's actually like creative, innovative, possibly technology oriented, um, activity. Um, you know, size wise is it most likely it's probably, you know, the least amount of people is probably about 50,000. Um, just throwing out a number. Uh, I think, you know, a a city smaller than that, a town smaller than that is probably not going to be able to facilitate a founder's life. But, um, So, you know, there's at least a density of people and activity. And then, and and in the, in the end, it's like, we need, is there someone there that is like caught the, the bug to start, start this thing? And, and so if there's an interested party in a city that is, you know, less on my radar, but like, you know, for instance, um, let's see, for instance, let's go with, um, so in Nigeria, there's, a city called Port Hartcourt and you spell that it's P-O-R-T and then it's Hartcourt. And I literally had no idea. Like I'm like, huh? Um, And it's, I think it's pronounced Port Hartcourt. I might be pronouncing it wrong. So, (laughs) you know, but this is part of my process is like, Whoa, what, where? And it turns out it's in Nigeria. And, you know, someone reached out and was like, Hey, this is really cool. I see what's going on. Can I start like, cause we're already in, um, we're in Lagos, Nigeria, and we're just launching in Abuja soon. Um, and now Port Harcourt is going to, is going to launch. And so, you know, she, this woman was very interested in, so she's going to pick up the, the ball and run with it. And, and so that, that was like, Oh, okay, here we go. And I put that on the list. So, um, yeah, that's part of, part of the, the way that we look at launch, you know, how we launch new cities.
0: Yeah. And I think that's uh, like, it's even better when not only do you have a system that's repeatable that can be in place, but when people are coming inbound to you for starting new city chapters, I think that's amazing. Mm -hmm. Um, For the people that come to your founder's life and pitch, is there usually any suggestion on what stage they should be in? Like if this was somebody who just has an idea, but not an actual product versus somebody who has a product and, you know, is making revenue that is showing to go towards it, right. Um, do you have any general recommendations on what sorts of people you are looking for to pitch? Yeah,
1: we definitely look for
0: companies that are deployed in, in market
1: and that could be pre-revenue, um, but, or, you know, pre-investment, but we, we say early stage into that Early stage to us is basically anything between a bootstrapped in a series, a financing $5 million roughly. And, you know, they just need to be in market. So there's no ideas. I think that that's the big, that's the big line is you can't just like walk through a slide deck and nothing has been built. Um, so, but you know, they can have revenue or not. Um, we look for diversity in, uh, our presenters, so hopefully the five that are up on stage don't all look like you know that's whether that's gender or you know background, skin color, you know you name it. Um, those are things that are important, uh, and then it doesn't necessarily have to be technology. So we want to celebrate entrepreneurship in in many different ways, and it just has to be novel and unique. And and so um, those are the things we look for.
0: And as far as the people that tend to do well. Pitching a founder's life are there any commonalities or themes that you've started to notice well
1: yeah you know in terms of the pitch if you're going to win the winning company generally you know really has it buttoned up they're telling a story so we talk about storytelling a lot and it's like hey with your pitch how are you walking through that story so that you maybe you're tugging on some emotions you're getting the crowd to nod very quickly saying like yeah i totally identify with that i get it um and so, you know, these people like know their pitch in and out. They're not reading off of any cards or anything. They're not stumbling. They, they actually finish before the buzzer. That's really important. You're actually on time. And, um, you know, they've, they've been able to distill their probably complex business into something everyone can absolutely understand. Like, oh, I get that. You know the the very worst thing when I mean, you pitch at Founders Live, honestly, and not it it happens sometimes. But like after the pitch, someone raises their hand. And they say, um, "So I don't really get it. What do you do?" <laughs> and you're like, "Oh, that you know." So like if, if someone asks you that after a Founders Live pitch, you're you haven't succeeded in telling you know your 99 second pitch. But um, yeah, it's like it's actually like really understanding like wrapping some some. T- storytelling, emotional aspects, things that people can identify with into your pitch, even if it's like a data analytics, you know, you're, you're solving some problem. So, you know, make it known and make it identifiable. I think that those are the things that really do well at a founder's live.
0: And for people that are listening right now who might have some business that is um, off the ground right now, and they might or might not have revenue, what is the incentives for people to come and pitch? What do you pitchers get from coming to Founders Life?
1: Yeah, that's a good question. You know, a lot of, first of all, it's just recognition. That's great. You are recognized in your community. You're on stage. You're getting feedback. Um, you possibly could win, you know, so people are voting. Um, the experience of standing up in front of 200 people or 300 people is, can be scary sometimes. And so, like, that's an awesome experience in itself. Um, but then all the presenters actually receive five thousand dollars credit to AWS. That's literally five thousand dollars towards Amazon um, credits, AWS credits. Um, they also get three thousand dollars towards Google Cloud credits. They also get. Um, we have a deal with. Uh, we have a deal with Delta, so we've put into the presenter package like some perks with Delta, and they can sign up as a team and actually start accruing. Points that's that's available to all Founders Live people, by the way. But we put that in the presenter package as well. But then the winner receives twenty thousand dollars credit to Google Cloud and their their web services, which is that's twenty thousand. I mean that's some that's it's not cash, but it's serious, and so that's really cool. Um, and we're starting to really build out our presenter and winners packages, so it's only going to get better over time.
0: Yeah, those sound like some pretty nice incentives mm-hmm. for. The different founders' life events are they usually out around the same size, like around 200, 300 people? Do you find like a size works better, where like under this it's too small, but over this it's too much?
1: Yeah, as as we launch a new city, usually it starts at maybe fifty to seventy-five, and so they're kind of like right around that seventy-five to hundred. Um, as they mature, it's going to get up to one hundred fifty to two hundred people, and that's a, probably a, a good size average um, Seattle, we get almost, sometimes we get like 300 people and, you know, so that, that can be pretty massive and, and that's great. Um, but I think any more than 300, it's going to get a little impersonal and I'm not sure that that's where we want to go, but I, you know, definitely love to see big events and that's great. Um, but th- those are really the the kind of average numbers you're looking at.
0: And speaking of going places, you are currently on a worldwide tour of um, different founders, live venues. Yeah, can you talk a little bit about the impetus of how it got started and how it's been going?
1: Yeah, you know, you know, I just building a global platform and community. You know, in just the four walls in Seattle was I realized wasn't ex- like wasn't the best option, and you know, obviously it's crazy, but I, you know. You know, I set out to go visit and live in the cities. And, you know, part of the, some of the story is that I had a relationship end. And so I had a, you know, my life was at least in a, it was in a new direction. And so I was like, well, shoot, like rather than signing a lease in Seattle, I just packed up all my stuff, put it in storage and I hit the road and I mapped out this tour. And I said, you know what, I'm going on a global worldwide year long tour, if not farther or longer. And, um, I'm going to go live in these founders, live cities, work with our teams. I can build the company from anywhere. So why not? And shoot, just go experience life. And it's been, I mean, I announced it, it was kind of a big deal. And I'm now on month nine and traveled about 22, 22, 23,000 miles. And it's just crazy. I mean, it's, it's totally changed me and totally changed the
0: business. When people start working for themselves, I think one of the things that people often talk about is this idea of I can work from anywhere I want. But usually what ends up happening is that you work out of your coffee shop or your living room. And it's really cool to see you actually take that and then actually go and travel around the world while you're working on time of life. Yeah. I mean, it, look, it, it is, it's, it
1: is crazy. It's, it's fun. It's cool. I've had so many people, you know, talk to me and ask me about it. And they're kind of in awe of it. And I, you know, I appreciate that, but I think anyone can look, anyone can do this. If, if you can work, if you work at WeWork or a co-working space, generally speaking, you can go work from anywhere. And, um, I would encourage people to just kind of like think a little bit farther outside the box and think about what I've done. I have simply gone on the road. I'm living in various cities. I'm taking rent that I used to pay Paying for you know with Airbnb is I you know I spend a little more than I was before but um, I'm going to my users. It's the best customer development ever, and I've learned so much about who they are and what they're like. What is their life in that city? So I can know and how we build this on a global scale. And and that it's just been tremendous. Like rather than thinking, oh, this is entrepreneurship in air quotes Seattle. That is not the same that it is in Washington, D.C. or in Boston or as I go international, whether that's in London or Africa or South America. So I'm going to go see that. And, and that will make me such a better entrepreneur and leader uh, just because I understand and then, you know know what they're going through on their local level. It, it, I mean, it makes logical sense and it's also really, really fun.
0: <laughs> so It's perfect if both of them are true at the same time. Exactly.
1: You know, I, I definitely, I, I totally understand that my circumstances like kind of came together at the same time. I get that, but it doesn't mean that others can't do something similar. And I've said this a lot before, but it's like, Hey, you know, look at your life and there's probably things you're a bit afraid of and scared. Look at those and bust through it because then you're going to see and experience things that you never would have before just because you were being held back.
0: That is definitely something that is worth thinking about um, often. And I think something else that you talked about in another interview was you answered the question of, you know, what would your biggest good be? be? Um, and you answered something along the lines, and please correct me if I'm wrong, of not living up to your potential. And my question, do you feel like you are living up to your potential at this point? Or how, will you, how do you tell that? <laughs>
1: I don't feel like I am. Uh, I'm getting there. I'm in, I'm in a better place than I was maybe a year ago. But um, there's a lot. There's a lot there. And we all have this ama- like, we all have major capacities. And my guess is most of us aren't living to that potential. And so I don't, I am definitely not at the, the potential. I'm getting closer and I feel like I'm doing better. But um, yeah, I've got a long ways to go. You know, so I'm excited about that. And I think on this tour in this process, I've definitely leveled up to see other, like, oh, wow, I'm at the next level. That's crazy. I didn't know this. And then the next the next one's like, oh, wow, there's another level here. I, I thought I was, you know, so you just keep leveling up, but you keep believing that there is another level that you can achieve more, you know, not, not just like achieve more like money wise, you actually grow as a as a as a person And as as a leader and as a founder,
0: looking back now, you've been on the road for nine months and visited countless cities. What have been some of your learnings, um, both about your customers, about the business, and maybe about yourself?
1: Well, I mean, first one was what I just said. It's just like self discovery and realizing like there is a lot more. um, I can, I have a lot more potential that I'm still trying to tap into. Um, secondly, it's just efficiency. You know, I, when you're on the road, everything. So when you're in your home city and you live, you know, where you live and you're kind of in that routine, you take a lot for granted. And what's amazing is that none of that is true right now for me. So you're essentially, you're going through strong, quick cycles of like, I'm in New York right now. So I'm just like trying, dude, trying to figure out where you're going and how you're going to get there and where you are out in the city, like it's nuts. So just like massively present and troubleshooting and the cycles are very quick and very effective and I'm learning and I'm actually adapting very quickly and it feels good. So that's, that's another lesson of just like, you know, I was telling someone last night, I'm like, dude, I have, you know, I'm totally pulled out of Comfortville and I have not been in Comfortville for a long time. And I know that it's a net positive, but it, you know, it might be taking its toll that I don't really see yet. But, you know, I have Comfortville to me is not where I want to be, you know? So, so that's one thing. Um, you know, I guess learning from some of the people, um, it's amazing that, you know, look, Founders Live is impactful and people love it just like they love it in Seattle. They love it in DC. They love it in, you know, in, Austin. And it's been really cool to like go to other cities and just like hear people talk about it. And it's like, they've been there a number of times. Like, Oh, I love founders live. It's this, this, and this, and this. And you're like, Whoa, like it is the same in every city. So that's been really cool to learn, um, that people are responding to it very similar that they respond to it in Seattle. And that was like a big assumption that I wanted to like prove true. Um, you know, those are some of the learnings that I've, that I've had on, on the
0: road. Yeah, and it sounds like you know going to, um, back way earlier when you were talking about your first startup and one of the mistakes being having assumptions and not testing it, um, it seems like that's something that you're taking to heart and you are now going about testing those assumptions around the globe. Totally. For the founders Tour, You know, you originally mentioned that this was something you wanted to do for a year and then possibly continue. Now that you're nine months into it, what do you see for yourself? Like at the end of the year, do you still see yourself continuing to go or do you stay at a place for a while?
1: Uh, um, yeah, I'll tell you right now. I I think it continues. Um, there's some things I've gotten motion that would actually really make that happen and continue. But, um, the plan is not like January 1st, go back to Seattle and get an apartment. That's not necessarily the plan. Um, I'm just kind of doing quarter by quarter and seeing how I feel. Um, so Right now, it's you know we got Q4 coming up and starting to look at what January through March looks like. But um, I don't think I'll be in Seattle in an apartment. I'll just tell you that.
0: That seems in line with your current ethos and you know where you're mm-hmm. taking things. So excited to see wherever you do end up in January, whether that's in Seattle on mm-hmm. the road or somewhere else entirely. Perfect. Um, and- And in the meantime, we are getting to the end of the podcast now. And so I'd like to close with a set of closing questions, which I ask all the guests. And my first question is about inspiration. And what is something that has recently inspired you?
1: I don't know if this sounds, you know, trite or not, but um, it really is actually, you know, being at the event or being around the people and the founder, like literally people say all the time, I inspire them, but, you know, quite frankly, they, you know, just, the founders, the early stage founders that are really excited and they, 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 you know, getting on stage and pitch that just inspires me too. And so it's kind of like a nice virtuous cycle. But, um, yeah, I think just seeing that people believe in themselves, that's huge. And that inspires me to continue, you know, cause I realize it's a, this is an important job and this is an important thing. And to see the impact that we're having only feeds me and inspires me to do more you know, I I think that that would be what I, what inspires me right now for sure.
0: Yeah. I can only imagine to see this community that you started now take seed and in turn affect so many other people. Mm -hmm. It's pretty cool. My next question is for people who might know you, um, what is something that they might be surprised about?
1: Well, I, I kind of already shared it, but I think, um, I studied like physiology, right? Like I studied something totally different. Like it wasn't, I, I did kind of study business in school, but um, I think that maybe if people didn't do research on me, they would like as deep as they could, they wouldn't realize that, you know, I studied kinesiology and human physiology and I was a strength coach. I actually worked for the Seattle Sonics. I was a strength coach for an NBA team and a WNBA team. And that's crazy, you know, at like 22, 23. Um, so maybe some people don't know that about me. If
0: people have um, weight training requirements, is that something that <laughs> uh, people I, can hit you up for? Or I'll put you it this way. With those you know, just take it with a grain of
1: salt because it's been, what, 15 years, <laughs> 12, 15 years since. So um, I don't, I, I'll just, I'll leave it at that.
0: <laughs> fair enough um and my next question is about principles and are there any principles that you like to live by
1: well I think you know if if you look at our core values uh, you know I think I mean i I love all of them all four of them uh, but I would just say the open the door um man just just do do great things for people and I think a good example is like look it takes thirty seconds to send an intro email thirty seconds like do it and, you know, open the door for people if, if you can and you have the opportunity because it is so powerful and people not only appreciate it, they'll turn around and do it for you. So it's, if is there a self-motivating? Maybe, maybe not, but just it's the right thing to do. And so that principle of helping people, uh, opening the door for people, if you are farther along in your career, I believe it's right to at least do some sort of work on a continual basis to help the ones that aren't as far as you um, in various ways. And so that's a huge one for me. If you want to call it a principle or a core value, um, but open the door, just do great things
0: for people. It's something that actually I've heard a lot from past guests of the show as well is this idea that, you know, you didn't get to where you are without help from other people and helping out the people that are coming up. um, One, it's the right thing to do, but the other one is these things have a, um, tendency to come around. Mm-hmm. One more question before I let you go. Uh, this one's open ended. Is there anything that we didn't get a chance to talk about that you would like to speak on now, or even if we did get a chance to talk about it?
1: Um, I'll, I'll just say this: we're we're close to announcing something really cool, and it's it's around social impact. And um, a little preview is just. Um, you know, we're, we're actually looking at how to layer on this social impact uh, purpose around the company, and we're also going to encourage other startups and founders around the world to choose their social impact. And so ours is going to be around really empowering um, empowering individuals of maybe uh, minority and or misrepresented or underrepresented communities the opportunities for entrepreneurship equal to what we have that might be in not underrepresented, if you get what I'm saying. But it's really about um, doing work on leveling the playing field in various ways that I think is really, really important. I think a lot of our problems in our society and our, our industry are because the unconscious bias of treating others that are misrepresented or underrepresented not equal and some of that's blatant some of that's not but we're going to start focusing on that so i'm really excited about the social impact campaign and program essentially a system within itself to do that and you know so you kind of hear you heard it here first but we'll announce it in the next couple weeks i think
0: okay well depending on the time when this goes live it might or might not be already announced but in any case, if it is, we'll have a link to it in the show notes. And if not, you've heard it here first. <laughs> but in the meanwhile, thank you so much for taking the time. I had a lot of fun, Nick. Yeah. yeah, Kevin, this is great. Thank you so much. Hey, everyone. This is Kevin again, which is a few more things before you go. First of all, thanks for listening. And if you want to support the show, you can do so by leaving us a review on Apple or Google Play. That really helps other people find this show. Until next time. Hope you have some great conversations.